Yeah, we we all watched uh, Scorsese's Taxi Driver. This is probably my maybe uh, I don't know maybe like my tenth time watching uh, the movie. I'm sure Jessica has seen it a bunch of times already uh, as well. And I mean, every time that I watch this movie, right, there's more and more that that you could get out of it. And there's there's stuff that's always sort of uh, I mean, you know that the themes exist. People talk about them, but little by little, you start noticing how all the details do cohere. Like like the whole sort of um you know, sketch of Taxi Driver as you see a lot of reviews talking about that this is just kind of like this dreamscape. And um, watching it this time, like specifically looking for details for that perspective. One thing I noticed for the first time is how many, it seems to me like how many racial hangups Travis Bickle tends to have, right? They're very understated and they're also counter to what he actually says explicitly. Right? Yeah, he, he kind of like, the camera like lingers a lot when he's like mm -hmm. in the diner or in places. It just like lingers on random black people around the way it doesn't mm -hmm. for anyone else. Like despite his like general paranoia towards people, you don't really see that to the same extent with any other group of people. It's just yeah. constant. Like, like him kind of while his friends are, or while the other cabbies are talking to him in the diner and he's there like kind of off in this little reverie staring at the, the guys mm -hmm. sitting at the other table. Um, I, I'm not sure if uh, Laura, you, you noticed this or Jessica, if you noticed this, uh, rewatching the movie, but, um, uh, so like, like when he's at the diner, right before, so we, we have that wonderful little image of he drops the Alka-Seltzer uh, mm -hmm. into the water. Yeah. And th this seems like a really like great metaphor for what's going on, like with him mentally, right? He's not presented as an extremely uh, intelligent character or anything, right? Quite the contrary. And it seems as if like, there's this kind of, you know, it's like, it's like a bubbling up of this kind of chaos. It could sort of, you know, bubble over at some point. Um, but it's also very sort of like, you know, inchoate and like non-specific, right? It's just this kind of, you know, bubbling underneath, like there's no actual focus to maybe some of the yeah. things that, that he wants to do. And, you know, eventually he does find a little bit of focus. That's sort of his overall, like that, that's one of the big like, points of his character, though. Like he says at the start, he was just looking for a direction mm -hmm. and like in reference to him taking the job. And it's kind of like he's just completely like purposeless in a lot of ways. And he just sort of like any bit of purpose he finds. I think it's interesting because he sort of like looks for purpose in ways that are quite common. Like he he finds, you know, he attaches himself almost like at random and to like arbitrarily to like this beautiful woman, like for no other mm -hmm. reason than he sees mm -hmm. her, she's attractive to him. Like she, he knows nothing else about her. And it's like, he's so, he lives this such an anomic kind of existence that he's just looking for anywhere. And it's kind of like, you know, it, it's not even unusual, you know, for somebody you know, not even gender, as like you know, any young man or woman, like, okay, you find someone of the opposite sex that's attractive and you, you kind of use them for purpose. But like, he sort of, even his attitude to Senator Palantine, like he's kind of, when he praises him when he's in the back of the taxi, it's it comes across to me at least as being entirely genuine when he praises him. But then, you know, then he starts just mere few days, few weeks later, he's like preparing his plan to assassinate him. And all that's changed in that regard is his attitude towards Betty. Like it's mm -hmm. not, it's kind of like his Palantine's meaning to him is entirely like sort of filtered through Betty's perspective on him. Mm -hmm. like he's sort of like, because now Bet like Betty before was his sort of locus of direction in life. And now like he hates it now. He she rejected him and he's resentful to her. So she's still his his like focus in life just in a negative sense. 
like he's entirely like sort of it's like he has no ability for that he has a lot of focus and he has a lot of capability and sort of drive when he sets his mind to it but it's like he has no actual inherent kind of means to like pick a direction that means something to him as a person he needs to just sort of parasitically grab onto someone or something Mm -hmm. else to focus all that energy somewhere Mm-hmm. And I do yeah. think it's like when she, when she rejects him is sort of like the beginning of when he starts to snap. Mm. And uh, and like I had written in my review about sort of like there are moments in the film where things with him sort of move in a slow motion kind of way because you sort of the taxi goes slow and he's staring at the Alka-Seltzer and he's just fixating on certain things. And I always really like that scene. I talk about that scene where he goes out and it's a great scene where he's talking to the wizard and they're like, go talk to the wizard. And, and you know, this guy, you've seen him before. He's like the older guy who hasn't done anything in his life. But what is so great about the scene is like, he acts like his whole, his life was his choice when really he's just, a you know, he, he hasn't had any motivation. So he's like, why don't I own my own cab? It must be because I don't want to. Because and he acts like yeah. he says it like so declarative, and then and then he goes on that like that ridiculous like pseudo philosophical tirade. He's like, you know, you know, doctor, another guy's a lawyer. You know, people are born. I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. And it's sort of in that moment that's after Betty rejects him. He's reaching out to him. He's like, I got some bad ideas in my head. He doesn't know how to say it, and so like you know, even when he tries to reach out, like with Bet Bet, uh, not Betty Betsy with Betsy or with this guy or whomever he he misses and and I think like I think the only person that he probably has anything that he could talk to is probably the Jodie Foster character when they yeah. have breakfast that one morning she's like I don't know it's weirder you or me uh one thing I want to uh, touch on again that uh, I didn't quite get to yet um so back in that diner scene after the Alka-Seltzer I'm not sure if you guys noticed it but it seemed to me that first uh, before he drops the tablets and he sees what looks like some sort of black gangster uh, uh eating over there but uh after he drops it and he sort of like you know has this kind of reverie or whatever he looks or rather the camera um it, there's like enough plausible deniability like any sort of like dreamlike image i feel like is sort of presented with a lot of plausible deniability that it might in fact just be ordinary reality and when the camera sort of goes back it's as if there's no one there's no more black man sitting in that seat right whether it's because he dozed off for a long time or maybe he never actually existed, right? Um, this is just kind of like yet another figment of, of uh, if he has like racial hangups, uh, he, he'll have more and more examples of this, uh, uh, you know, down the road. Um, or that other time, right, when there's that robbery, right, that there's a black man robbing uh, the convenience store. Um, it's, it's presented in this way that could very well be a dream because so first he shoots and kills him. Right, which uh, you know most people are never going to be in that situation. But then, uh, the thing that makes it sound like a, seem like a dream even more is how after this man is shot and is just lying clearly dead, uh, the guy behind the counter jumps over, takes a bat, and just starts hitting him. Right, instead of like you know uh, immediately trying to you know drag him away somewhere so this isn't seen because you could get in a lot of trouble for this. Obviously, uh, he just starts hitting him as if you know this is uh, uh, Travis Bickle's own sort of imagination of of how he maybe feels about certain people you know that they, they, they he comes across mm-hmm. uh you have like lots of images like at the very beginning when you see him walking around with the uh uh, uh alcohol 
he's just kind of like walking down this street and there's this kind of like a dissolved sort of a effect with the camera and it's the same exact street and he's still walking the same area but now he has like a, a paper bag uh, in his hand and you never see him like crazily drunk or anything like that but you have this sort of like feeling that he's always on you know this sort of like slight edge of uh, not being quite sober right there's always like uh you know uh, some kind of like uh, edge to uh where he is like in terms of any sort of substances or any kind mm -hmm. of um you know like heightened uh, little experience or whatever or dulled experience okay. right however you want to put it yeah, I think as well, like he mentions at the start and it, it, you see throughout, he like is barely sleeping throughout this whole thing as well. Mm -hmm. So I think like a lot of these sort of effects sort of reflect this like weird, hazy sort of foggy state that he must be in through a, a lot of, especially the initial part of the film where he's before he kind of gains this purpose in life. So mm -hmm. yeah, he doesn't know what he wants to do. It's it's sort of like he's he's an, uh, it's like he's a Joey, but without the art longing, it's some kind of like, yeah achievement longing he doesn't know what to do so he thinks oh palatine i'll assassinate him or that didn't work and then it just so happens to have fallen in his favor with uh the crime at the end <clears throat> it just randomly fell in his favor where he's like the hero and you know regarding the crime like hit the shooting off at the end and like what alex said about the racial element is when i was like before this i was like just doing a bit of googling about it and apparently um one of the things that has been stated, I think, by Scorsese and Paul Schrader as well, is that um, initially the pimp and, you know, the the two, the pimps and the John as well, were all supposed to, that he killed at the end, they were all supposed to be black characters. They're supposed to be played by black actors. And supposedly this was something that was changed because it would be too, like, inflammatory to have such a scene at the end of Travis Bickle killing these three black characters. So... And I, I don't know how true that is, but it kind of does put an interesting, it add, it would only add to the whole like tension. And I feel like then in that case, a lot of the kind of aspects earlier with his clear paranoia and wariness of black people would sort of play into that or sort of foreshadow that in a way. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, you, you, know, you notice how when he finally starts cultivating this idea of you know, maybe there is some, so it's so like in terms of like all of this being circumstantial, yeah, he does sort of like by accident uh, get to become a hero. Um, he does have like an initial that positive uh, response to Palantine, but uh, mm -hmm. just being in the car, you know, you don't, uh, it, it, it could be simply because like the few, the viewer knows this, but Travis doesn't, or it could just be like purely, you know, subjective uh, through, through his point of view, where you definitely do get the sense that Palantine is a kind of, um, slimy sort of a character right a very kind of like maybe typical politician he reminds yeah. me in fact like w w when you when you do see him give his little speeches and his commentary uh a lot of the verbiage right uh is very similar to uh, i'm not sure laura if you've ever seen the film nashville but in nashville no. it, it starts with like uh, a sort of like political you know announcement through this car right i forget the name of the guy who, who's running but He's also pretty nondescript in his politics. He's kind of like a mirror where you could put whatever ideology that you want uh, uh, on, you know, uh, on these people. Though, like back there, it's kind of like from the perspective of, you know, Southern. This is this is New York City, so this has kind of like more of a liberal veneer. But you definitely get the sense that Palatine is a little bit 
slimy and uh although like he's not you know you know he doesn't deserve assassination there's this odd thing that happens in the movie where you feel a, a bit more on travis's side than you do mm -hmm. on Valentine's <laughs> side right? I, I think i think as well with that like it's interesting to me and like the whole like scene in the car where travis is praising him is that like it kind of was nearly in contrast to the earlier scenes you see at the headquarters where betsy and um I, I forget his name, the guy that she kind of has a flirtatious thing, her co-worker. Oh, um, Albert, Albert, okay, Albert Al Brooks. But you know yeah. his real name was Albert Einstein? Did you know that? <laughs> was it? It well, is, um, yeah, Albert uh -huh. Brooks, his real name, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, they're like talking about supporting him, but in this nearly like sarcastic kind of way, like this kind of like, oh, you know, like, he does that whole exchange between like, oh, you sound like you're selling, what was it, selling mouthwash or something like that. And it's mm -hmm. near like the advertising and they're kind of like laughing about it. And it's all very like, it, it's that typical like political cynicism and kind of like, oh, mm -hmm. you know, like they're on a side compared. But like when you compare it then to the earnestness that Travis talks about Palantine, it's like like either positive or negative. He shows a lot more energy and just yeah. er and like misguided sort of earnestness and passion towards whatever as he sets his mind to then yeah. these people do like then the yeah. his, like head, mm -hmm. then his actual campaign workers do and it's just i think it's just, just something that's a very telling moment about travis mm -hmm. well he goes up to her if you notice how he he asks her out he's he's really kind of invasive he's like i can see you're not a happy person yeah. and it's just sort of like she takes to it probably because she finds him attractive which de niro was yeah. And, and you're just like, it's just so odd because it, he's, he doesn't even know her. And he's just like, I can see. And then, he, and then they go out and he goes, that guy you work with, I don't like him. Not that I don't like him. He's just silly. And it's just so he's already showing jealousy. And so like right there, you do see some red flags that, that I'd be like, oh, I don't know about this guy. But oddly enough, do you think that he's necessarily wrong with some of the kind of, you know, out of the blue, you know, no, assessments? I don't, I don't I, I think, I think that's an interesting. Like from her yeah, perspective. Yeah, I think like it was really well done because like what he says, like isn't wrong. And like he's probably at least fairly on the money with some of the stuff about her being unhappy mm -hmm. and you know maybe she's kind of Lonely looking to make this guy jealous yeah. or whatever but like at the same time it's he's not saying it due to any actual insight into her he's saying out of pure projection and wishful thinking like yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. it just so it's happens a, that this is such a accent, common yeah. state for people in general well, that he manages to be right because of how predictable most people well are he's, not, be in this situation, he's like. not wrong but he's also probably not in the place right then to say it he doesn't even know yeah, exactly her. so it's like it's like yeah. a little soon to tell someone all that so that's what i mean he's it's so like, he's so he forward. doesn't know her he doesn't know her. Yeah. He's kind of nearly like just shooting this out there because he wants this to be true, and he just so ha he just happens to be right. And I think as well, like just by like Rob, like De Niro playing him, it's just like I do think it was a very good choice to have him being played by like somebody. You know, like Robert De Niro was very handsome at the time. It's like it was a good choice to have him played by someone good looking because I think it really highlights yeah. just how like weird and invasive and just odd his mannerisms and the way his way of talking are not like not just on the date, but he, you get the yeah. sense he just comes out as a bit off to people in general. Like well, when he's talking he, to the guy getting the yeah. job. And it's just it really highlights that. Whereas I feel like if you had him played by a guy who's a little bit more like, you know, plain looking or greasy looking or whatever, like I feel like that wouldn't highlight his oddness as much as it does because you'd expect it you'd expect oh he's just a weirdo yeah. yeah 
this guy, yeah. he, I mean, he's a, he's better looking than Albert Brooks, at least I think so. And, uh, you know, but yeah, he's weird. And then, and then he takes her out and he, he, He's like, you know, I don't know much about movies. I don't know much about music. I don't know what his stance on welfare is, but I'm sure it's a good one. He doesn't know anything. It's like he's just lived yeah. in this bubble. And he's like, he honestly thinks taking a woman on a first date to a porn film is normal. He just doesn't even occur to him. And he's honest, he's doing it out of earnestness. He really is trying. Yeah. And like, I got like, the... I got the impression with it as well. It's like it was a Swedish porno film, so it's like mm. he probably you get the, you could imagine him thinking that it's classy because it's yeah. not just yeah. Yeah. porno; yeah. it's a foreign porno. There's an artsiness, yeah. There's exactly, yeah. yeah. It. It's like that's that's just like you could really imagine that being his thought process. Like, and and, and notice he's and notice he says, uh, you know, don't worry about it. a lot of couples go to movies like this. And when he sits down, there's a black couple in front, yeah. and they're straight up, you know, they see they seem to be together, like they are yeah. honestly there to enjoy the movie, right? <laughs> um, so he's yeah. also technically like this is a weird part, he's right? Not he's wrong. technically not wrong about some yeah. of these things that he does. Um, and 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 notice how like during this, uh, uh so during this like second date. Uh, first, you just feel kind of like, you know, like very bad for him that he thinks that all this is normal, that this is appropriate. Then it starts getting, you know, more creepy when he's grabbing at her. And then, of course, yeah. like the character is sort of taken uh, to the brink of being totally, you know, uh, you lose sort of like all empathy with him when he like shows up to her work, starts screaming, starts, you know, kind of like going mm -hmm. nuts. But but a as soon as we're sort of taken to the brink, immediately after we get that scene uh, with the character in the back of the cab who's played by uh, Scorsese, um, and mm -hmm. and th and this guy's actually you know totally you know insane. He's talking about killing his wife, right? He's talking about it in very graphic detail because she's cheating him, and, and of course yet again it's with a black person. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's another there's that racial element comes back again. And as he's being told in graphic detail how how this guy wants to kill his wife, um, Bickle which I quote of, in the review, I quoted in my review, by the way. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, 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 and Travis Bickle is just sort of a staring at him. And, and we definitely, definitely get the sense that Bickle knows that what this guy is saying is bad and wrong, right? And and although, you know, Bickle could, you know, confront a woman and sort of go nuts and maybe grab her arm, he's not going to behave in this kind of way. So yeah. that that empathy for the character is immediately reestablished just by, you know, putting him next to someone that is actually, you know, insane, that is one of these sort of, um you know, classic New York City characters that mm -hmm. might very well be just something coming up from his own imagination, right? That mm -hmm. bringing, again, that racial element too it could very well be you know he's sort of imagining some of these things and you notice how later on uh, soon after there's another scene where he's just driving uh, maybe in harlem or whatever and a bunch of black kids throw rocks and eggs at his car and uh it seems as soon as he brings the car in although they broke the windshield you don't see any broken glass uh you don't see uh you, you know again there's plausible deniability maybe he cleaned it up maybe this is like a week later but still there's enough evidence there that you could say this is you know there is something dreamlike going on here the these are the, you know these like black children are kind of like these little you know these little like uh monsters of his imagination you know they're very nondescript you don't see their faces they're just dark you know this is just kind of like mm -hmm. a representation of some of these fears um you know like, i just saw like so many more details like this uh this time around just mm -hmm. i feel like if you take yeah. like any sort of like lens that people typically use to view the film from you'll you'll accumulate if you like focus on, on those things as you do a rewatch you'll accumulate more and more pieces of evidence um in that particular direction so it's very well crafted in that regard
Well, you know, one of the things I also find really amazing is how honestly, really relatable Travis is, despite the fact that he's going crazy and he's this yeah. cab driver and he's alone. I mean, I watch it and I actually feel sorry for him. Like I feel empathy mm. for him. I mean, he's he's not a psychopath. He's just lonely. He's so lonely, he's losing his mind. I mean, that's really what it is, I think. And um, he just doesn't know. He wants to, he's like, I want to do something, but I don't know what it is. And he wants to help or make a difference. He, and again, from his perspective, what he considers good is a matter of perspective, good or evil. Remember, because he thinks that maybe in that moment, assassinating Palestine, Palantine, that he's doing a good thing. You know, even though technically, you know, you're committing a crime and you're taking away someone's life. So we would say, no, that's not a good thing. But, um, you know, uh, clearly at the end with the shootout, he thinks he's doing um, a good thing. And then society also agrees with that. Oh, he did a good thing. So, again, good and evil being a matter of perspective. And I've noted that in another film uh, review I wrote, which maybe we'll talk about later in the show that's unrelated, but about the perspective of good and evil and what is good, what is not, depending on who you ask, can really vary, you know? I think um, just what you said of him not being a psychopath, like I re- I reread Dan's on Cosmetica, like review of Taxi Driver, and he kind of, he, he kind of makes an argument regarding Travis being like usually labeled as psychotic or a psychopath that he, if you're going to kind of diagnose him with anything, he fits more so like borderline personality disorder or something along those lines. And like, I do think there's definitely an argument to be made for that because of the fact that like that's kind of fundamentally a disorder of one's sense of self and personality and then like all the like emotional issues that come along with that so and like I think that that if anything definitely describes Travis he has no he seems to have no actual concrete sense of who he is in the world and Mm -hmm. and he just kind of and like so many of like his plight so much of his plight just stems from that really like even when you see like the letter he writes to his parents even and and you kind of wonder okay well what's his you know what's his family like and you know you'd nearly be sort of I I suppose primed to think well is there any clues as to why he is the way he is but instead you just kind of are bombarded by this like these delusions that he sort of feeds them or he sort of is just using them to try and like bolster himself up or maybe lying Mm. or you know lying to them to try and like protect them from the reality of what is going on you don't know but like I just think it was a very wise decision on in regard to the screenplay to not like really clue us on and why is Travis the way he is like you get little bits that can maybe like you can infer like why party is the way is but like it was just a good mm-hmm. decision not to because it's like he in a fundamental way do, has seems to have no idea he's just so anomic I've said that word before but he really is and it's just he kind of he, he just exists in this and he's just kind of drifting along and yeah he just mm-hmm. um and he's sort of grasping and it's like he has all this energy and nowhere to put it until he finds mm-hmm. until he nearly yeah a random grasps and he's so sad he buys he spends his money on guns and and he really, and he lives in this shitty apartment and you just don't see any way out for him. Yeah. And, and I mean, his life is very different from my life, but I'm not going to lie and say, I don't feel, I've not felt some, I think, relatability to him, you know, mm. just, just the, there's this, you know, I think anyone who's ever felt alone would, would identify with that. And, you know, it, it's sort of like, it's, it's, it's. I mean, not to use the cliche, our deepest, darkest kind of actions or, you know, you wouldn't do them, but sometimes you just, 
have that bubbling up. And, and, you know, most of us, though, as like Ebert noted in his review, he said most of us just handle it better. We just know how to manage yeah. it. He doesn't. He, has, he has, seems to have no way of handling it and like no people in his life that could have potentially helped him to handle mm -hmm. it. Like, mm -hmm. because, and yeah, it's just kind of... I, I, I don't know. I think like regarding the relatability of it, I think it's like very... I, I think just it struck me when I was thinking back on it that like it's very applicable and very kind of relatable to it's a very prescient film for one made in made in the 70s to like the 21st century kind of like the level of isolation that you see and like even anyone that's like spent any amount of time online like it's it's nearly like too obvious and trite to like point out that like he nearly comes off as like a prototype for the sort of personality that in, you like the now incel? See on incel. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and it's nearly trite but it's true and it's like it, it's kind of like even just the like it's interesting because it's like in the 70s there's this level of alienation and anonymity that was maybe only really apparent in in the midst of such a massive city as New York but nowadays that sort of anonymity is like everyone is like immersed in it now thanks to the internet especially post-covid because like it, like it struck me with the scene with the the character the, the crazy guy talking about his wife played by Martin Scorsese it's like it really in some ways it reminded me of like you know, you see on like things like Reddit or other sites where people will like confess things, you know, like you'll have those subreddits where people will have these confessions and some you see the most fucked up things sometimes now whether they're true or not. But it's like nearly it, it struck me as like that. That's very similar. Like he's just talking to Travis and he's like he's he's not really looking for a response, but he kind of is. But like, you know, and it's just sort of like that. It's nearly seems like, OK, back in the 70s, some like guy like just in the back of a taxi saying this nowadays anyone can do that and many people do look for some sort of odd solace or response or whatever just by like they posting put it this on online. tiktok exactly exactly know? they put it on tiktok or they put it on anonymous things like reddit or other forums and it's just sort of like it's like the level of loneliness that this film describes is kind of like a fairly mm -hmm. default position for a lot of people nowadays and it's yeah it's just it's a very mm -hmm. interesting film like what you say about relatability i think is just truer than probably some people would like to admit in that regard now mm -hmm. yeah the the, the uh, screenplay has a has an epigraph uh, i forget uh from uh who but uh it's something along the lines of um instead of considering loneliness as this kind of like exceptional case we should just assume that it's a general human condition mm -hmm. right and that and that's kind of the set of assumptions uh uh throughout um and and uh yeah you, you notice that like when he starts actually cultivating like a sense of mission uh yes it is accidental right he just sort of accidentally comes across this child prostitute despite like probably seeing many other child, child prostitutes in his life right for whatever reason he decides to uh try and save this one and there's this kind of like I, like if you if you were to transplant that psychology to maybe what you see in the modern day there's definitely this kind of like odd conservative streak right to his uh, uh beliefs and his like kind of like sense for like what kinds of relationships people uh, ought to have um mm -hmm. uh it, it just just in the sense that like so first of all uh you know he begins by saying right he's he's looking for some sort of you know rain to wash away all the scum and the filth right yeah. that's a very kind of you know, conservative kind of, um, you know, uh, a sense, right, that, that you we could imagine, you know, being said today all the time. Uh, when he is, so so he's going and he's buying all these guns, right, which to him is not 
uh, anything uh, immoral, right? It's just like something to do. It doesn't matter whether it's legal or illegal, right? He needs to have guns for whatever reason. And ultimately, after he's told, um, you know, you could pay f uh, for this, this, and that, and he buys everything, uh, the guy starts offering him uh, different kinds of drugs, right? He starts naming, like, you know, weed, mm -hmm. you know, amphetamines, PCB, whatever, cocaine. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And, 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 then, and, then, yeah, and then Travis Bickle gets this disgusted look on his face, like, no, I don't want any of that stuff. You know, kind of <laughs> yeah. like, how would you, how dare, after buying all these illegal weapons, how dare you even, well, you know, I try got, to propose that I buy these drugs? Though. I wonder, did James Cameron probably watch this? Do you notice the font in the beginning is very Terminator-like? It has that, like, square-ish, That it's the same font, I think. And then when he goes to buy the guns, remember when the Terminator does it? He goes, so which one will be? All. And here again, Travis gets all. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much of that. I just, because I just recently watched, I go, hmm, I wonder if that was, because um, I was also going to mention that, I don't know, have you ever seen, either of you ever seen the Mike Lee film Naked or any? Um, no, I've never uh, seen that. No. Oh, because um, I noticed how much uh, Mike Lee was really influenced, not just by Scorsese, but especially Taxi Driver. And if you, I mean, if you've not seen a film that is also about a loner, but it's a different type of loner, he's sort of an intellectual kind of Silas type and he pushes people away whereas Travis wants to get close but can't and there's scenes in there that do remind me a lot of not just taxi driver but after hours and it's set at night and and um how I also know a big red flag is in one of his other films he's got a picture of you know Travis on the on the, as a poster in the you know so it's clear that Mike Lee which who well, I'm going to watch a film again probably review another one of his films but um he, that he was uh, influenced uh, by that film, um, but it, it's it's definitely you can see how much that film is is had an impact just culturally, artistically, and uh, you know it just you, you know you, you you could imagine a certain kind of uh, a fucked up person having Travis Bickle you know as a poster on their wall. But I feel yeah. like for for men that are more, much more kind of like normies, one thing that's very common in in real life, like you, there's like analogs to this. Like I I remember like back in high school and uh, elsewhere, how a lot of kids that were into film, they were very into Annie Hall, and they were very into Alvy Singer as like a, a really like great and misunderstood guy that was just looking for love, right? When in fact, like he, you know, if you pay attention, he's presented he's fairly negatively. <laughs> And 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 these are and the and these are often uh, you know from kids that themselves had like you know various kinds of deficiencies mm -hmm. and you know they would they would look up to this uh, guy unknowingly in the same I mean people do the same thing with Woody Allen's Manhattan right they view it as a love letter to New York City which is just such bullshit right it's um I think you know, like the thing is as well though is that like 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 thinking of Annie Hall and that like he's he's a dick but in ways that it's like if you're like that as a teenager okay that's you're still a yeah, bit yeah. of a dick but like it's fairly normal and most healthy yeah. people grow out of that but it's just the problem is that he's a grown adult that is acting this way mm -hmm. completely unself-awarely and it's like that's like yeah. it's like I, I think it's like if somebody is worshipped by like little like shitty teenagers that it should be a red flag <laughs> but <laughs> I got one like, thing to say acceptable for that development stage is just completely different like one thing you mentioned about you said about the poster with guys on the wall no it's actually in the Mike Lee film in a film called Career Girls so it's a, a flat run by two girl two girls so they have it on the wall no yeah. so I just thought that was interesting uh, it, it, another observation on this kind of conservative psychology. Uh, did you guys guys notice how 
uh, we go through like uh, so so one like turning point in the movie, or maybe like the first like true turning point is when, um, uh, like before he's like actual break uh, from reality in some ways. Uh, he's sort of like sitting around playing with this like big gun of his, and he's eating bread like white like wonder bread. Uh, it seemed like uh, torn into pieces with oh, sugar yeah. cu- with sugar cubes and milk and alcohol. Um, and this is like, Ugh. you know, the, the, the kind he of like a, a little nagging and he's pouring it out over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a little like apex, like symbol before like a psychotic break of some sort. Uh, even, you know, if it's like to dance point, it's more kind of like borderline personality. He sort of dips in and out of, um, uh, uh, lucidity in some ways. But, uh, when he, when he's back in lucidity, like after cl- this clear kind of like break, uh, when he sees uh, Iris again, he has his conversation after he, he's he's taken upstairs. He's extremely lucid, right? And you don't see him that lucid uh, uh, for much of the film, but especially not recently, because recently he was just getting less and less healthy. Um, and for the, it's like for the first time, like we have this break again. We're, we're, we're on the cusp of like, uh, no longer really relating him to, uh, to to him all that well, right? When he's like eating that garbage and playing with a gun, back to okay, now he's allowed to be lucid again, and it's specifically when he finds some kind of objective, right? And granted, you know, you could take issue with how he ultimately uh, handles things, but the fact is, like from his perspective, he has suddenly uh, this objective now, um, and, and this is enough to sort of like make him you know, behave in a way that's like in reality, in tune with reality, not, not, um, you know, away in his own little world again. Yeah. And I think like, I, I agree. And I think like, it's key as well that like when he finds a subjective, it's to do with another person and it's to do with him, like playing out this kind of white knight kind of idea that he has, because like you see him do, it's kind of like prefigured by his whole thing with Betsy, where it's, it's like, oh, you're unhappy. That guy's just silly. And you know, he's not good enough for you. Kind of this whole kind of thing he has going on. And he wants, mm-hmm. he very much wants, feels like he wants to rescue her in some way. And it's just nearly like happenstance that he comes across somebody that actually, you know, is in need of rescuing because she's being preyed on by this like predatory pimp who's manipulating this child. Do you know, it's just like he kind of tries the whole routine on somebody, Betty, who really needed or wanted from him. And then it, it's just near, it's the same kind of thing. He just tries to, he, he has this need to help other people. It's like a lot of like what he's like is stuff that's like, you know, you could see it as being a good thing. You know, like he, he has this desire and help other people. Like that's not a bad thing. He just, he kind of just fundamentally messed up in some way that he has no healthy way to channel that. And it's just nearly, it's kind of like, I think it's like how arbitrary the whole ending of him being held as a hero is. It's like, he, he it's just he, the same violence, the same kind of white knight image and all these things. They just happened to be directed in a way that was pr- productive and a good thing. And it's kind of... um yeah, it's just incredibly, like, I think that's one of the big things of the ending, how incredibly arbitrary it, it all is, and yet he's hailed as a hero all the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, you notice how, um, uh, I forget the name of the pimp, but it's the Harvey Ke- uh, Keitel. Uh, sports, uh, yeah. My, was it oh, Matthew? Yeah, sport, sport. Matthew. Sport, Matthew. Sport, sport. Yeah. Yeah, Matthew, Matthew, Matthew or Sport, yeah. yeah. So uh, when Matthew is, um, uh, he, he, he's talking to Travis Bickle for the first time, there's this kind of sense and maybe Travis is conscious of this, maybe not, maybe it's just, uh, you know, maybe he's not intelligent or maybe this is just only for the viewer, but I definitely got the sense that, you know, there's this kind of heightened sadness because as, as uh, Travis is trying to uh, uh, get, you know, uh, some time alone to speak to Iris, 
um, uh, Matthew is like very uh, skeptical of, of, of Bickle, right? He's like, you know, like, are you a cop? Are you this? Are you that? And he's like, no, I'm hip. And then he starts laughing like, you you don't really seem hip to me, buddy. You know, something like that. And it, it's kind of sad because even this guy that's like a total scumbag, right? Uh, this, you know, this pimp with this like child prostitute. He is still kind of inside like the the real world of like people and social interactions. He's still closer in that world enough for him to be able to say, you know what? There's something really off about this Travis guy, right? He's able mm-hmm. to see that right away about Travis Bickle, despite the fact that we know, you know, of the two of them, even if Travis has problems, he's not a total scumbag in the way that this guy is. And yet, you know, uh, uh, only this guy, right, to get back to this, like, insult terminology, only this Chad is allowed to, you know, he's, he still gets all the girls and he gets to sort of be, you know, looked upon normally by the rest of the world. But I I always have to be the outcast, but mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. even do anything wrong, right? Um, mm-hmm. Why? And, you know, maybe Travis... Travis isn't consciously thinking that, but I definitely thought that on behalf of uh, Travis when I saw that interaction yeah. again. Mm-hmm. I, I think like a lot of it. Oh, sorry. Do you want to go on? Oh no, no. Go ahead. Sorry, I was agreeing. Okay. No, I was just gonna say. Okay, I was just gonna say like as well. Like even like a lot of it is kind of it's it's clearly like I I don't know if when you see it kind of like from Travis's point of view how much he is, seems to be really cognizant of that because like even stuff like when you see the whole like like the montage bit nearly of him kind of preparing himself mentally and physically and doing this whole routine and then regimen that he has going and he's kind of like you know doing shit like holding his hand over a hot stove and like you know like he needs to clean up and stop with the drugs and stop with the pills and so on and it's just kind of like it's nearly like this perverse version of the kind of montage you might see in, in, in any shitty action film like the hero going through like you can mm. it's it's just like you see kind of like this is the way he sort of sees himself and it's very much like a lot of his kind of like again a lot of his attributes are ones that are like could be like in a positive light because like it's kind of like he has this drive he has this persistence even like his pursuit of Betsy it's like okay like how many like you know movies or whatever do you see where like the guy goes back and like sort of is able to win the woman by persistence and all this and it's kind of like he he just seems to like not it's kind of he lives in this world where he's doing the right things seemingly but like there is a logic behind it but it's just Mm -hmm. all so off like like unstable foundation mm-hmm. that is like fundamentally a little bit not quite in touch with like the reality of things like he's just mm-hmm. missing something and do you notice had, how he would be a productive member of society if he had that pain that he's missing you notice how betsy then when she gets in the cab and she kind of looks at him with more admiration it's always mm-hmm. like oh people you know oh you're somebody and and uh, just mm-hmm. her her, persp- her perspective of him, her perception of him, rather, switches based upon what other people are saying. And so it's like how much of people's, per- you know, uh, opinions about a person are based in actually just what others think and what versus what you really think. Yeah. You, and, you, like, you, she you, honestly does seem like a pretty shallow person anyways. Like, she just, yeah, yeah. like, comes off, like, from what you see of her. Like, I mean, she agrees to go on the date with him. Like, why exactly? 
like you know it, it's clearly not for any like deep reasons on her part like it's either because it's it seems to be to me to be some comment like he's good looking enough and like you know he has a certain intensity about him or whatever that like maybe maybe she just sees oh he's like very so different than like albert or any of these other guys she's kind of surrounded by in this like very white kind of educated environment and it's just like you know like but none of those are particularly good reasons and well she, and i know. think he flatters her I think she's flattered yeah, because, that's he, you know, she likes the attention. She she uh, yeah. sees that he he idolizes her. And she's like, hell, yeah, you know, she's bored and like, why not? Yeah. Uh, how, how much uh, do you guys think of the, um, uh, the last scene with, for example, getting in the cab and the letter being uh, read out? How much of that do you think is mere... Uh, I mean, because there's like enough plausible deniability that you could argue either direction. But how much of it do you think is... Uh, sort of supposed to be or is based on the evidence in the film just kind of like a wish fulfillment i mean you know everybody would have that sort of revenge fantasy of now you do something wonderful and the person that spurned you is is uh looking at you with admiration and is sort of like missing what they mm. could have had right and he and he does that perfect sort of thing where he doesn't even take her money he doesn't even try to like ask for her number again he doesn't try to see her again he just sort of moves on knowing that he you know uh, uh had the better of her in this kind of interaction um i i noticed when the letter was being read and you had those like newspaper clippings uh from uh all the uh you know gangsters and pimps that were killed there was a photo there uh that they used and under it said travis bickle but it looked nothing like um at least to me like i, I did sort of like you know pause it and zoom in uh but uh it, it looked nothing like robert de niro the travis bickle of the film um and i'm not yeah. sure if i saw anybody commenting i'm not sure if it's just kind of like uh, a trick for me maybe i'm just like missing something but it seemed like a totally different person right which sort of might give a little bit of evidence back to the side of you know this is just kind of like a little bit of a dream that he's having um and this is just kind of like how yeah. one of the details played out i didn't notice that i thought it was yeah, wasn't I it, that as well but... it wasn't that his picture though his taxi picture was just sort of like he's like this i don't know yeah i mean maybe, maybe i'm wrong it, it just seemed to me but but anyway and and also the letter itself uh, I, I remember reading some sort of analysis a long time ago. I forget the details, but I was reminded of it this time when uh, it seems like some of the phrasings and some of the mannerisms of just like speaking sounded a little bit like Travis Bickle's own strategies. Like when he's uh, writing his letter to his mother mm -hmm. and how he would have sort of like statements with like, you know, emphatic sort of like full stops um you know uh, like moving from like uh, like piece to piece in this kind of you know almost uh clunky sort of way like a person that maybe doesn't really write uh too much it had the same kind of feeling and again like you could say yeah. a little generically most people are like that so you know who cares right uh so this isn't like ex ex evidence for like another sort of dream in his head but you know it's another like interesting little detail how you know both of them were in the position to write letters and they both sound pretty similar Right yeah, like I, I do agree that letter came off as like oddly to me, and I, I think like that is a good point. I think that to be honest, like even if you do take it that like it's genuinely from the father, it's sort of like it's still I, I couldn't help thinking that like you there's still a reason she ran away. 
and it's sort of like okay it could just be some sort of like thing that you know some sort of family issue that could be yeah, ironed yeah. out and maybe like they're not terrible parents but like like ch- let's be real chances are abusive or neglectful or there's actual mm-hmm. issues there in somewhere or other and it's just like you know even if it's a real letter maybe the guy is just trying to present an image because fundamentally like travis when he's writing these things is trying to present an image and that's another similarity like i mean the mm-hmm. dad is trying to be like oh we're happy be families she'll never have cause mm. to run away again but like what exactly does that mean like you know like we don't know he could be like molesting her or he could they could be abusing or neglecting or whatever other reason because there is a reason she ran away in the first place there is a reason why she's susceptible to the attention of of you know matthew as well like the pimp because it's sort of like you know she clearly like the way he treats her he just basically puts up this facade of offering her love and attention in some way and she is so she just like eats it right up like there's a reason mm-hmm. I, I i don't know i don't think a kid that's from a really loving and tight-knit family where they genuinely feel loved all the time is going to like be vulnerable in that way and is going away in the first place so it's sort of like you know in, in a surface level thing it's this whole great wish fulfillment and that but like i mean is like and it is for travis's purposes because he was just like oh you know go home or whatever but like is it really you know like that's there's a lot that's sort of like unanswered that sort of clouds the whole wish fulfillment aspect even if you do take it at face value that it really happened yeah th- those are all very good points and i think that would uh um that would bring uh, more credence to this idea of you know going back to a, a kind of a conservative psychology you could imagine travis bickle having this sort of dream right where he imagines that uh well look she returned to her family and that's mm. all that matters as long as you have mm-hmm. family guys right that's the yeah. most important thing your mm. biological family forget everything else your family 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 like a lot a lot of people do have that kind of mentality if yeah. he's kind of simplistic in his ways of thinking anyway and he leans kind of psychologically conservative you can imagine you know um this sort of a uh, coming up as, as you know bits and pieces of his own wish fulfillment and, and it's just so incredible how this movie has so many like it, it gives you so many like little you know stops and starts and in, in different ways mm-hmm. of, of interpreting things um mm-hmm. and, and like a, any number of uh interpretations would work very well right uh and you know th- there's a lot of cleverness there how the evidence gets presented and how ev- the narrative gets built up in, mm-hmm. in that regard have you ever have you ever met anyone though who i've known a couple people who watched it and heard the praise and they were like what was that or they were disappointed by it and i'd be like uh you gotta rewatch it have you ever encountered anyone like that um no but if i would i probably wouldn't know them for too long you know uh, oh it's somebody that it's someone we know but i won't say oh very very uh curious right e- e- even for the patrons that we're not we're, there are certain secrets that will not be released this is, this is a lot that keep them subscribing just like you're revealing you know what I, I think eventually if, when it gets when it gets bigger enough we should have like a hundred dollar tier and that's just going to be the pure gossip tier i know jessica would absolutely love that she would just get on and she would just gossip and if you want to pay us a hundred dollars we'll we'll got we'll gossip for you um no no it was funny because ruslan had when he emailed me he was like i like the banter <laughs> yeah <laughs> hi ruslan no. <laughs> oh um, you know what you should do i see I sometimes at the end of videos they say shout out to my patrons i don't know if you ever did that but whatever yeah pr- pr- probably uh, uh eventually i i will um, um 
Yeah, but but so far I like the way things are going. Actually, uh, Keith and I are meeting up in his apartment for the first time in a few days, and we're gonna we're gonna do a recording of um like another movie macro on another Scorsese. We're gonna do Goodfellas and Mean Streets double feature. Mm. Okay, right. that's good. Um, I still think like two of his neglected ones are uh, you know the After Hours and uh, yeah uh, the um the one the other Rupert Pup King of Comedy. Yeah. Uh, did, did you guys did you guys uh, see any other Paul Schrader films? Because um, I I saw so f first of all, it seems like when Paul Schrader works specifically with Scorsese, maybe you know something changes in the script. Uh, maybe they both end up hammering something out together. But uh, I, I so like with, he also did Raging Bull, right? Which is uh, extremely good. He did this, but that's working with Scorsese. The non Scorsese of his that I saw was he wrote and directed um light sleeper from like i think the early 90s or like 93 or something like that and yeah, i mean it was just like a much uh, weaker film uh there was also mm -hmm. american jiggle but i never saw so i, I can't really comment. i i've seen the mishima film the yukio Mish mikio mishima film and i'm like eh. and then that wasn't yeah that, that, that was my that was my response to light and... sleeper yeah. And then I saw the one he did on uh, Patty Hearst, and I don't remember what it's called. It has uh, Natasha Richardson as Patty Hearst. And, you know, it's a good solid standard. There's nothing great about it. it, it like, I can't even remember the title. But um, I do remember the, the Mishima film being extremely melodramatic. But again, the character, you know, the guy himself was. Mm -hmm. But eh, I don't know. It just, it was a little... Uh, it didn't. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I noticed Mishima attracts a lot of very sort of you know artsy uh, poser types. Uh, yes, for whatever, yes. For whatever reason, it, I mean, it probably because of the whole kind of like melodrama, right? Well, um, the su the suicide, the melodrama, the way he goes and kills himself. I mean, the guy was a yeah. total narcissist. I mean, he was all about attention, and uh, you know, and I think the people who watch that kind of see themselves in it. And, and, um, there was, yeah, I knew someone, an individual from the past who was obsessed with that movie and I didn't get along very much with that person, but, um, $100 tier, we're going to hear all about it. <laughs> I'm just going to drop little bombs and be like, yeah, I didn't, I don't like that person. I won't, I'm not going to name names. You just, but... We just like keep a record of every time you like make a comment like that. That could be like the $100 tier video. Then it's just like a little like clip of you and all these deals. And then you say, actually, I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So do, 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 really... do we have anything else to say about Taxi Driver? Um... No, I said I do um... have a review. I got a review coming, so I'll have more yeah. in there. So. I don't know. Um, I just, I, I do think actually when you're talking about the conservative thing, if I, if I want to be all like inflammatory and shit, like, because you've been talking as well, like you've, you've meant, you've done some videos like the one with Dan about Jordan Peterson and that, like, I just think mm -hmm. that's like a really prescient film for that thing. Like even the conservative, his like conservatism, it's very like, it, it's, it's very much like sort of foretelling like this, like a lot of like this online culture, like the incel thing, a lot of these alienated young guys that are sort of like, looking for some sense of purpose the sort of like drive towards more conservative values or at least the posturing to do with it and it's just it is just kind of interesting how much the film managed to kind of tap into that especially like as if because I've never seen any more Paul Schrader's films like he somehow just managed to do that in this case and wasn't able to replicate that kind of 
insight elsewhere. Yeah. It, it, it seems like alongside Scorsese, right? There's uh, good things that happen, whether it's this or, or Raging Bull. Um, I mean, I mean, who knows, right? It, it seems like a lot of directors, uh, when there's like co-writing credits or even just like pure writing credits, um, uh, I can imagine Scorsese just, you know, wanting to do either his own things or like filming things a certain way that might naturally exclude, you know, pieces of a script. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, this was like just extremely well uh, written, right. Uh, very, very memorable. I mean, you know, obviously it's, it's part of a, a culture very much at this point. Right. Um, there's references in, in films, right. There's references in, in books. So. I thought um, Ebert made a good point. He has, uh, you know, in one of his reviews, he's got two reviews of it, but he made a good point where he says um, he does the, are you talking to me? And he goes, well, but I'm the only one here. And he said, People never finish the sentence. They just leave, are you talking to me? And he goes, the full line being, but I'm the only one here. So it's like the yeah. only time he's like, he's talking to himself even. Like he just has nobody. And and um, just, I think, exemplifies just the aloneness. And uh, Yeah, early on we have that line. I believe someone should become a person like mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, you know, it's you, you could tell like from a statement like that, that, you know, there there is no actual directionality there. The only possible directionality in that statement is, statement is towards, you know, whatever kind of social mush is out there that looks attractive to a lot of people, you know, especially if you're, say, like very young. Right. You might want to, you know, feel more like other people. You want to feel better adjusted. But here, you know, as an adult, you know, it is uh, adjustment for the sake of adjustment. It's almost as if he's not, at least at the beginning, he's not so interested even in assessing whether or not, um, you know, these are valuable adjustments, right? It's it's just kind of like as as long as it saves off the loneliness, right? Maybe it's an adjustment that I can make or or should make. Um, so and there, there's a lot of like little quotes that he drops and you could tell like mm -hmm, in, mm -hmm. in a weird they're 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 well written in the sense that um you know by, you know by itself it wouldn't do anything but in the context of the film you know you could you could tell that this is something that this guy thinks it's deep right for all the wrong reasons it reminds me of like one time when i was uh working at some school and there was this uh, guy that was uh, um, th that was working with me, and he would often have a little notepad, and he would write little things there, and he would write with like very slowly with these like very sort of like fat, you know, like these like fat pen marks and these like big blocky letters, and it's always be capitalized whatever observations he was making. And then I looked over one time, and he was writing one time, uh, the power of the mind and that was it and then he just sort of he wrote it down then he just sort of like lay back and just kind of like <laughs> just like thinking about <laughs> thinking about the statement think about the implications and the depth of of that um and i mean the, the, this this you know these sorts of like little uh, uh phrases that he does right there uh they, they capture that mentality pretty well Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely an underlining profundity to rather straightforward statements, which is an indicator of something that is well written. When you can have a simple statement that underneath it, you're like, oh, that's actually quite much deeper than you realize. You know, that's a sign of some uh, good writing as opposed to, you know, a lot of times you'll get people, you know, if they're not very experienced, they usually try to get all florid and, you know, use a lot of 
you know, these excessive modifiers or over-described, but sometimes it's just the very simple, straightforward statement. Or when he says, um, you know, he does say, God, I'm God's lonely man. And he says something about change. He goes, and then there's change, mm-hmm. you know, like when he wants to take on something and then there's change. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how life is. And then it, it goes and goes and goes. And then there's change. Something changes and then it's never back the same the way it was, but it never feels like it's going to happen. But then it does. And life changes. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to make a confession, Jessica. Speaking of floweriness, uh, a book that you sent me a long time ago, Mishima's uh, trilogy. Um, I never could quite get through uh, the. I whole sent thing. it to you. Yeah, a long, very long time ago. Um, Why did I? I sent you like physical copies. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was. That's it was weird. Uh, and I never quite could get through it because it was just way too flowery, and oh. you know, you have to like push through. You have to slog through like so much uh, description that's not. It's not even that that good, right? Um, but it was yeah, very difficult. yeah. It's very difficult to to get through. What would you, like? I think is his. He's the uh, spring snow and the 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 quartet. Is that what the one you're talking about? The quartet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I actually, from what I recall, and I read a number of his books. The ones, the one that I thought was was uh, the his best that I recall. Again, it's been a while. Was the uh, te- um, the Temple of the Golden Pavilion, and mm-hmm. I thought that was really well written. But the, the the ideas weren't deep, but the writing was better. And so, like, he's sort of like a very shallow writer, but he can write certain phrases well and make it sh- like, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes, yeah, but no, I know what you mean. I do know yeah. what you mean. And that, I know that, that-, that also reminds me of someone that we know. Oh, <laughs> at the end, we'll have the, no. <laughs> um, but no, I do know what you mean in those books. Uh, that's why, for me, I much preferred Tanizaki or Kawabata over mm-hmm. him because he was extremely, he was and is, you know, obviously he's very melodramatic. And yeah, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I it's been so long since I read him, though, but. Yeah. How much of that, because I've never read him, how much of that do you think you could chalk up to translation? Or did you read like a few different translators and kind of get the... <sighs> Um, he is like, no, I've read now. I can't, again, off the top of my head, I have to go get the books and see. Hmm. He, from, I have read a number of the Japanese writers and some of them just are, are very good in terms of depending on which, in any translation, some are very like block letter, like very rigid, like who I don't think uh, I'm not impressed with that much is, um, who's the guy Murakami? The, the guy he's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and he has, I think his, his translator is this guy, Jay Rubin. And uh, Murakami is kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, it's not bad, but it's, it's not great. I mean, he, he's just sort of like overindulges, I think, in the excess symbolism. And then you have so much just weird shit happening after a while. He kind of loses its meaning. And uh, yeah, he, he, yeah, like Murakami, like he focuses on that weird shit and he notices a lot. This is like that animification, right? By that, I mean anime, right? This kind of like anime style of we're going to go with some melodrama. We're going to go with weirdness uh, at the exclusion of in lieu of, you know, actual character development. I mean, those yeah. characters are interesting. Like when I was doing with Zeke that that um, uh, drive my car uh, plus uh, that that other um, film. Like it mm-hmm. was just kind of like you know it was just let, let's get a little weird 
Let's let's do these uh, kind of like heavy handed, you know, obvious symbols. And that's going to be the thing. And, and, you know, like focus on some like the some of the visuals were good. Right. But you 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 can't you you can't mm-hmm. uh ha- you you can't just depend on that right this is why so much of like Jap- japanese animation fails right you have so much oftentimes technical ex- execution and yet there's there's actually nothing there right it doesn't actually matter mm-hmm. right it's just kind of um, it's, a waste it's like watching a Var- lars von trier film i mean mm-hmm. a lot of his films are filled with weird shit and some of them are very well shot and i can't complain really about a lot of his cinematography or anything or or you know but storylines and it's like he's trying to be bergman but he doesn't have the depth and uh but uh yeah um compared to comparatively like mishima's it's just he's very very melodramatic he Mm -hmm. he really is and and he i i just remember him being a pretty good wordsmith but Oh, you know the ideas were kind of piffle, and it's one of those things. You know, you read it, and then you 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 move on. You know, um, whereas I felt like I got a lot more out of Kawabata or Tanizaki. You know, those uh, their best works. It just all depends. You know. Oh, all right, just have to let my cat out. Is that is that Teddy? No, it's Kizzy. Oh, Kizzy. Okay. She was asleep on my bed, and now she's trying to get out. So Aww. I'm just going. 